Welcome back to the Jesse Golden Podcast. I am so excited to bring you this week's conversation with my friend, Sophie Deer. I met her out here in Bali through a mutual friend and have been impressed with her from the beginning, just the way that she carries herself, the way she really embodies her work. And I got to do a deep dive, definitely the favorite uh, part of this job, with her during this episode to really understand what it took to take her life from a place of suffering from chronic insomnia, anxiety, working in a career path and living a life that was completely out of alignment with her, little did she know at the time, to completely transforming her life and living the life she now leads out here in Bali, where you can just see it all over her face. She is a a bundle of joy. She really she really radiates as a woman who embodies a strong sense of self. And you will hear all about how she was able to develop that during this episode. She is a yoga teacher and also coaches women on improving their self-worth. You will hear at the end of the conversation I have with her all the different ways that you can find her, work with her. And of course, all of those details are linked below. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on today. So for those listening, Sophie and I met here in Bali a couple of months ago, and I have been so inspired by your story, and I can't wait to let others have the same experience. So you are a self-worth coach. What led you to this work? Well, quite a big question to start with. Yeah, so what led me to the work really is starts kind of from the struggles I had growing up with insomnia. And insomnia kind of ended up leading me to struggling with anxiety. So it's about 15 when I started to experience not sleeping and kind of just accepted it. Like it was this thing where I was like, oh, well, you know, like I, I, I grew up with my dad being quite ill. And so I was like, well, you know, this isn't going to kill me. And I, I just got to get on with it. And it was kind of that like British kind of step up with it, like get on with it kind of attitude that I really adopted. And then so cuts to moving into like my early 20s, going into a job in TV, which was like my dream job to begin with. Like I was so excited to move into this kind of crazy world of being on set. And I was in, I was the assistant director for British dramas, some that your audience might have heard of, like Spooks and Call the Midwife and Mr. Selfridge. And it really was amazing to begin with. But what I realized was it, just took such a toll on my mental health. And I ended up cut to like eight, seven, eight years later, I ended up being signed off work due to um, my insomnia and anxiety. And it was like this sudden realization of how low I had got without even realizing it. Like I never identified as someone who struggled with their mental health. And I started to surround myself with like really good doctors, therapists, mentors, and what I realized underneath it all was that my self-worth hit me so low for so long. And it's an interesting thing, Jesse, because I actually had great confidence. So on the outside, I looked like I was rocking it. I had this really good job. I was in a, a relationship that I thought was really strong at the time. I had a huge group of friends. I was traveling with work, like Life looked pretty good on the outside, but on the inside, I was really, really struggling. 
And so when I started to do this work, when I realized that my kind of health and happiness needed to take a front seat and that this insomnia and anxiety was something I couldn't really ignore anymore. And when I started to do the work, I realized that, yeah, so much of this came from the, these limiting beliefs I had around not being good enough and feeling like a failure and how much this was actually filtering into every single aspect of my life. And how I showed up in my life was really a reflection of how low my self-worth was and how what I accepted into my life was, again, a reflection of how low my self-worth was. So it became this like fascinating thing for me to start to delve into. And I could see the shifts when I started to do the work. I could really see the shifts coming into my life. And I ended up becoming a yoga teacher. So I trained as a yoga teacher about six years ago. And then sadly went through like a, a separation and then a divorce and moved to Bali. And kind of Bali these past few years have been this like wonderful healing place. I mean, I'm sure you've spoken about that. Like Bali just shows you your stuff. I don't know if I can swear on this, but oh, it just swear shows you. <laughs> it shows you your shit big time. Mm-hmm. And you just start to yeah, like for me, it was this wonderful space to heal and grow. And I thought I'd done so much work already in terms of my mental health. And yeah, the, this last two years have been, or two and a half years have been this huge accelerator. And it really has been where I'd like dug into the world of self-worth. And it has just changed my life like dramatically. Ah, oh, so beautiful. So I'm curious when it comes to the insomnia, where does that stand with you now? And what do you feel like the root cause was what helped you shift that? So for me, I just to answer the first part. So I do have periods where I don't sleep well, but I wouldn't say I have insomnia anymore, which is huge. So there was a time in my life where I had accepted it so much so that I never thought I would sleep. Like, I just didn't think I'd ever have a good night's sleep. And I remember in 2019, I had my, like, first proper good night's sleep since I was 15. So since my adult life. And I, like, woke up and I cried. And I cried and cried and cried because it was like, now I know this is possible. Oh, now I've slept. I know I can actually sleep again. Like, this is something that's possible and available to me. So, yeah, that was, like, a big response to talking about it. But, yeah, that's so... The insomnia is so much better. And I think like a lot of people, I have periods of, of not sleeping well, but in general, I sleep pretty good now. I definitely notice that I'll sleep um, less when I'm having more anxious periods or I feel a bit more worried about things. Like my sleep will definitely suffer. And in terms of where it, where it came from, you know, I think these things are really hard to, to know when you're at such a young age. Like I still see 15 as like such a young girl, like struggling to sleep where all my peers, it wasn't even a thing. And so it was very confusing even to know what to do, to do about it. So really I didn't get proper help. I could have probably done with getting better help at, at a younger age, but I didn't really get proper help into my late twenties. But I would say I think growing up in, I I have a a very privileged background, but I did grow up with a dad who was constantly ill or on and off being ill from age 10. And I think that had an impact on how I saw the world and my worries around my safety. You know, you're a 
primary caregiver potentially losing their method of fear and then going into a space that felt safe again where he got better and then back into a space where it didn't feel safe again so I think something around that probably had an impact I've been told by doctors that this can be genetic and when well also suffers from sleep problems but what one thing I would say is I really believed for many years from kind of a lot of the advice that I was given that this was something I just had to put up with and I really, really believe that this is something we do not have to put up with. And this is something that is fundamental to our health. Like I just accepted for years that I didn't sleep, but I've seen such an effect on things like my memory. My memory's not very good. And I put that down to the, my sleep issues in the past. And there's a, there is a lot of science that, that, that shows that because it, in sleep, we process our memories and we, we like literally imprint our memories into our brain. So if we're not having that sleep. We're not able to do that. We're not able to process our emotions properly. Like the, there's almost like this washing machine effect of your emotions at night where your emotions are, are processed. And I wasn't able to do that. So the impact of not sleeping had so many different, I suppose, yeah, different impacts in a way, in the way that it wasn't just feeling tired. It's like, I'm sure you, you've noticed that when you haven't slept, there's so many things that comes from this. Totally. And it can be such a, a mind gay word then that provokes more anxiety of, oh my gosh, am I going to sleep tonight? And it can be this cycle that is easy to get caught in. And I've certainly been there, but I get really frustrated by doctors just writing something off as just genetic or like you're kind of doomed when I believe so strongly in the body's ability to heal. I don't think the body wants to be in a dysregulated or dysfunctional state. And of course, sometimes nature doesn't go as as intended, but that probably impacted your beliefs at the time of like, oh shit, I might as well not even try because I can't do anything. 100%. I mean, I was all in in that way of thinking of like, take a pill, fix everything. That's like fully into like the Western way of what I see as, as being really quite limited in, in the way that they approach mental health. And I mean, it, I was firstly at, at a young age, I was told that I couldn't have pills. Then in my early twenties, I was told I could have pills, but that just meant that every time I went to the doctor to talk about my sleep problems, they like, I don't think until I was 28 when I went and saw this amazing doctor who really changed my life. So that's 13 years. I don't think anyone asked me, how are you, Sophie? What's going on? What's your lifestyle like? How are you feeling about things? Mm -hmm. That was never asked to me until I, you know, I really actually started to get proper help with it. But I was prescribed drugs in my early 20s and unfortunately then basically got hooked to these drugs so then I got really afraid of drugs so I wanted to get off them and so I was told to go and see a therapist and then I didn't see the best therapist and that was you know I think what your first experience in therapy I was in like oh well therapy isn't for me you know that kind of classic try it once and it didn't work so I was just like oh I won't do it again and and interestingly as well once I had been prescribed these drugs that got me to see and then I had been addicted to those I came off them. The solution was to give me a drug in the morning that made me awake. Like when I look back, I'm like, how was that even possible that I was in my early 20s and this is what I, my solution was? Oh, again, no one asking how I was or what was going on or anything. Yeah. So, so really when I 
and I did see this doctor who's he, he's very much a Western doctor, but he ha- also has really believes in alternative therapies. And he he helped me see this therapist who really helped me with sleep when I eventually got off the pills. But really interesting what you said. What ended up happening for me was I still had to take pills for a while in my late twenties because it was better for me to go to sleep at night than get the anxiety of being awake for so long. And what happens when your mind goes on that overdrive and that fear and that panic? And I didn't have the tools at the time to, to deal with that. So it was almost like, what's better, taking a sleeping pill and knocking yourself out or like not taking that pill that's potentially harmful, but then being awake and tormenting yourself with the anxiety. So when I started to learn all the t- tools around how to deal with the anxiety, no longer now do I need to take the sleeping pill. So it's like at night reminding myself I'm safe. Yes. Yeah, so self-soothing. What are some tools that you use when it comes to managing your anxiety? So for me, I mean, it's been a long process, but what I would say, like daily tools that anyone can just start with. I start every morning meditating. And then I go into a practice of gratitude, intentions, and affirmations. I'm not expecting everyone to go straight into meditation. Meditation, I think, is something that if you can, go and get taught it properly. Like for me, it was something I dabbled in for so long, but only went to it when I was struggling. Now it's a regular practice that means that when I get to a moment of difficulty or feeling more emotions or whatever it is, I've kind of built up that practice to support me before I hit that difficult point. So, so that would be a huge, huge tip. It's like get some help with your meditation practice. And I can give you a, a reference as well to, to, to my yoga teachers because I think they're absolutely, sorry, my meditation teachers because I think they're amazing. But yeah, so starting with meditation and then I go into a gratitude practice and my gratitude, what I learned about gratitude actually was that it's really important to embody your gratitude practice and you've been in my yoga classes I bring that into my yoga now but this idea that we're not just listing it off in our heads we're not just going I'm grateful for my family I'm grateful for the roof over my head I'm grateful for the food I eat that isn't going to change the pathways in your brain what's going to change the pathways in your brain is if you actually embody your practice and you visualize it you remember the moment that you were grateful for and you feel it deep in your bones that way you're actually producing the chemicals it feels like you're actually living the experience in the now. So your body and your mind don't know the difference between real and imaginary. So when you can really create a deep gratitude practice, embodying your practice with the sensations, with the, with the emotions that comes with gratitude. So we're effectively feeling the joy, the excitement, the love, the compassion, the kindness, the peace as we, as we you know, re-remember that gratitude. We're feeling it in the present moment and it's bringing those chemicals and rewiring the pathways in our brain. So it's, it's a really powerful practice and that has to be done properly. Because yeah, for years I was like, I'm just grateful for this. And I was like, why is nothing happening? <laughs> this is just easy, you know? Interesting. That sounds very like Joe Dispenza-esque. Mm, I'm with this very part. much. Yeah. 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 I love him very, very much. Yeah, it was actually from a, a book that I read a while ago called Buddha's Brain by Rick mm-hmm. Hansen. It's a great read. So yeah, my, my gratitude and then I go into like a daily intention, just 
something to do with the day specifically, like how, how I want to, what I want to bring into that day. And then I go into my affirmations and affirmations have been, again, just so powerful for me to rewire my brain because the, the, the kind of old me would be always focused on the negative, always focused on where I went wrong, always focused on how I was failing. I just would, that, I was so stuck in that story. And you know, there's, there's a, a, a lot of us, when we first come to this work, we're stuck in a, a victimhood mode. Why are things always going wrong for me? Why did I mess up? Why does no one love me? Why didn't I get that chance? You know, it's, it's, it's the story we all do. I did it for ages of like, no one has insomnia like me. Like that was literally the story I'd felt. And when you, you have a lack of sleep, you totally lose all perspective. So I believed it. Whereas when you're bringing in affirmations, what you're doing is rewiring your brain for all the, all the positive things. And you start to genuinely believe these positive things about yourself. So to begin with, whether I was doing it, I didn't feel like, you know, it didn't feel genuine. So you have to kind of start small with your affirmations. So instead of being like, I'm rocking it, I'm smashing it, which I now can say to myself in the morning, and I do it like fist pumping because your body language is really important as well. You, if you said like, I'm rocking it and smashing it, it just kind of had your shoulders hunched forward and your curled into a wall. It doesn't really say to yourself that you feel that. Whereas if you change your body language around it, it, it helps kind of imprint it into the body. But yes, yeah, so, so starting small with things like I'm, I'm enough, I'm enough. Well, I'm always enough. Yeah. And these are things that are so practical and people can start to implement right away, which I think people have this idea that it needs to be a whole kind of technical complex thing and it really doesn't need to be. Yeah. And unfortunately, because it's so simple, people don't think it works. And it requires a lot of consistency. I think people still want the, the quick fix, but it requires like 100% daily personal responsibility to keep showing up. Hundred percent, and it's like this 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 moment I have in the morning. It takes me about half an hour. It's this biggest dedication to me showing up for me, and it's like reminding myself that I'm so important and worthy in my life. Mm. And yeah, and it just it, and again, these things I would I wouldn't have dreamed of doing. I would have thought it was like so woo-woo and way too spiritual and like that was not for someone like me. And now I'm so all in and love these practices and I feel so passionate about them because they're so simple. And unfortunately, because they're so simple, people don't tend to do them. But if you do it, like what Joe Dispenza says is six weeks, six weeks of doing practices like this. And he has a whole load of practices that he does a lot, include his visualizations, but six weeks and you can rewire your brain. That's not that long considering how long people suffer for. No. Yeah. I mean, it, like it leaves me speechless because I'm like, yeah, a hundred percent. And yet, you know, again, we're still so, so stuck in these, these victimhood road stories. And one thing I always ask myself, like when I'm, when I'm going into a, let's say a fearful thought pattern, I ask myself, like, is this helpful or is this harmful? So sometimes, you know, a little bit of fear and worry is good because it will 
maybe it changes what you're doing the next day. So you, you know, you get to your appointment on time. But actually a lot of the fear that we experience is just harmful. So if we can ask ourselves that question, we can choose whether to ride with that story because it's helping us and it's going to lead us somewhere that feels good. Or we can say to ourselves, no, I'm not going to choose that thought pattern anymore. Yes. And the, the start of all of this is awareness. You know, it's not, it's not as simple as that. We have to become aware of this as even being a thing in the first place. You know, it's bringing so much of our subconscious patterns into the conscious mind. The majority of people are living in this like survival-based fear mechanism and they're not even aware that they're doing this. It's just how they're showing up because it's learned behaviors from peers or their caregivers. And there's, I mean, there's so many interesting things we could say about this, but starting to differentiate from what's someone else's and what's yours. Mm. Like, what was, is someone else's fear and does that truly align to you? Do you run up with this with clients? Because I run into this with my clients and also with myself. I think it's just a human thing. But speaking of the victim mentality is all of these things that you're sharing of bringing things to the conscious and being committed. Let's say, why can't someone do it for six weeks? For me, I have to know, I have to be ready for what's on the other side because Sometimes that victim mentality, it's providing us with a sense of comfort. And so there has to be a point where you're saying, okay, I recognize that I'm doing this to myself, but am I willing to do the work required on the other side of that awareness? And that can be scary. Because we have to be, oh, it's so scary. Expansion's scary. Step, all of this is stepping outside of our comfort zone because the comfort zone is to stay small. Our comfort zone is to, to not create change in our life. Our survival mechanism literally wants us to pass on our genes. It doesn't care whether we're happy or not. Happiness and building worth, building that self-worth takes time, takes commitment. And it is about stepping into places that feel uncomfortable. But as we know, our growth and the biggest and most positive things that have happened in my life always come from a, a place of pain and discomfort. Oh, I know. And every time I'm in one of those cycles, I'm kind of going through a growth period now. It's like, you, I hate it so much in the moment. But then after I'm eternally grateful, it's just reminding ourselves in that moment that, okay, this will pay off. It's not for nothing. You have mentioned earlier, and I know that you went through a separation, a divorce, you were married in your early 20s, correct? And you are now in your, in your 30s and you've grown into a different version of yourself. Do you feel like you both had the potential to grow together? Such an interesting question. So I actually met my ex-husband in my early 20s, but got married in my early 30s. Ah, and our paths were really similar. Like we were both in TV. We were both doing the same thing both working these crazy hours. And then when I decided to move out of TV because it was, I got signed off work and, you know, I, I really realized it was very detrimental to my health. I started on this whole different trajectory. And I think actually looking back, it was a huge reason why we ended up separating. And I think that 
for me, one of the most important things is knowing that you can grow with your partner, that you're on this like level where you're, you're inspiring one another. Maybe someone goes up a little bit and then the other person meets them. And then it's the other person that grows a little bit and then the other person meets them. But for me, because I'm so fascinated by this subject and actually working on my relationship is incredibly, incredibly important to me because I see the value in it and I see how much joy and love and growth I get from it. I, yeah, I really dedicate my, my time to this, but in answer to that, I don't think that partnership was the right partnership for the both of us to grow in. So we have to do move our separate ways and I suppose for me it was like I you know I in my early 20s I didn't really know what I wanted from a relationship that's common so common so what was the for someone listening if they're like well I'm not sure in my relationship what was the point at which you knew okay it's time to go our separate ways it was such an interesting period because I did so much work on really trying to take responsibility for how I'd shown up in my relationship for so long. And I really looked at my lack of boundaries, my lack of self-work, my people-pleasing, my codependency. And from doing all this work, I got really clear on what it is that was like a non-negotiable in a relationship to me. And my non-negotiables were having moved to Bali and experienced this life of freedom I wanted to be with a partner who could also experience a life of freedom which actually practically meant that they could work and live anywhere and wanted to enjoy that freedom you know a lot of us we set up these businesses in order for us to be able to fly and enjoy the freedom and the balance that life can give us rather than being in the constraints of the nine-to-five so that was really important to me I decided and I really wanted someone who was able to communicate, like really fully able to sit down and have those hard conversations. Because again, I believe it's the hard conversations that firstly we grow from and secondly, we're actually showing our true selves. So when we people please, we're avoiding conflict and therefore we're not speaking our truths. So as much as people pleasing can be seen as like a, a, you know, a selfless thing to do, it's actually such a disservice to you and the other person and the relationship because you're never fully showing up truly as who you are. In the, to the subconscious mind, you're therefore saying to yourself, you're not, you're not worthy of showing up truly as you because how the other person reacts is more important than you speaking your truth. So, so much of the self-worth is about not needing to feel validated by someone else. Huge. I love that, what that's saying to your subconscious. Yeah. Yeah, we have to be really careful of, of our language and how we speak to ourselves. It's really, really important and something that I massively had to work on. Even from things like just saying, oh, I'm so sorry, but, and then starting my sen- sentence, or this might, might sound a bit silly, or maybe I'm being ridiculous. Like always apologizing for myself before I even spoke. Like I wasn't giving myself a chance speaking to myself like that. You know, and things like not set, accepting a compliment. We have to learn to accept compliments. People are giving us gifts and we're going, no, no, no. No, I just got lucky or this person helped me. You know, always making these excuses. Accept the compliment fully because someone's trying to give you a gift. No, true. Yeah, so 
Um, yeah, and then just the fi- the final point for me was so it was freedom of communication and then growth. Like I was so fun into this net like uh, from a few years ago that I I was like I can't imagine not really wanting to expand my relationship. It's like our relationships are the most important things in our lives. They're such a marker of our happiness. And there's been like long-term studies on this as well to show that it's not like your cholesterol levels age 50 that are a marker of whether you're going to grow into old age. It's actually the state of your relationships age 50. So to me, it was like, I want to be in a relationship that I believe we can continually grow and continually learn. And part of that was feeling inspired by someone. Like I knew that I needed to be with someone who inspired me. So those three things became really important to me. And, and, it, and I think this work is about working out what's really important to you because it might be that you need to feel really grounded. You need to have like a stable foundation. Like right now, like it's kind of similar to you. I don't have a stable foundation. I've lived in so many different homes in the past two and a half years of Bali. But that's been okay for me. But whereas for you, and again, this is all going back to your, your worth. You start to understand what your core values are. Mm-hmm. So as much as I, you know, I can say what, what really helped me make that decision, and it was a very difficult decision. Obviously, there were heaps more factors than that. But those three were kind of what I came down to really wanting. And then interestingly, when I kind of stepped into that place of, this is what I'm worth and this is what I deserve. I brought that into my life in a new relationship. So I'm very lucky to have that now within my new relationship. I love, so how quickly did that happen? Once you started to call that in and say, okay, this is exactly what I want in a new relationship. When did he show up? So I would say that those three were kind of simmering over a period of like, three months I was getting really clear on that and then and then when I was like really sure on it it was very quick that's not long at all once you get a yeah from happen yeah and that's not three months after my relationship ended that was three months after like deciding like this this is what I want and it was after almost a year of really doing solid work on myself and you know signing up to these courses and you know, they're just so life-changing and I feel so lucky to have been open. I think that's a huge, huge thing I would just say to people is if you're feeling really stuck and overwhelmed and, and very unsure of a huge decision like that, just be open to the possibility of things feeling more light. Be open to inviting in help as well, you know? Like for me, I, I needed mentors and support around this. And there's, you know, heaps of things out there now. We're so lucky that, that so many interesting people on social media who are giving out a lot of this information free. And then you can also go and sign up to an online course or you can be part of a group program or whatever it is. But there's so much available to us out there now. Yeah, I feel very lucky and very privileged to, to have that, have these resources in my life. Yeah, and... Kudos to you for taking responsibility and leading yourself at the same time, because it would have been really easy to just stay where you were. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the other thing within relating, like 
I know that having now taken a lot of responsibility and moved out of that victim mode, that that's how I want people to show up to me in relationship, whether that's in a friendship or a family relationship or my partner. I want to be surrounded by the people who are ready and willing to take responsibility for that shit. Because even saying things like, he made me feel, is putting the responsibility on someone else. And there's ways we can word it, like, when this happened, this made me feel like this. So you're honoring that the that you're, you're honoring your feelings it's not that your feelings are wrong all feelings are valid everything we feel is valid and yet at the same time we can take responsibility for how we feel Combine. i don't want to feel like this how can i change this up and there's probably so much more safety within that dynamic because you know that each of you is responsible for yourselves i think it inherently leads to this sense of lack of safety when you know someone's always going to be projecting their stuff onto you and then of course if you're always blaming someone else you inherently have a just a sense of unease inside of yourself because you're not stable yeah yeah 100 percent. there's a do you know about the drama triangle yes but for those listening So it's basically, I'm going to have to check over this. You've got the victim, the persecutor, and what's the other one? You can, oh, the rescuer. Yeah. So, and all three are basically modes of being in victimhood modes. But the, the persecutor is the one who's like blaming. The victim who is the one who's, why do bad things happen to me? And the rescuer, rescuer is the one who wants to fix everything. So I very much played the, the, the rescuer for a very, very long time. And it's starting to learn communication techniques where we can break out of this cycle because it is just, it, it just brings unnecessary drama and unnecessary suffering to our lives. And what I was thinking about earlier, again, it's like that it's not the, it's not the reality of the, the situation that's difficult. It's the stories that we create around it. Yeah. So, of course, things are going to feel difficult. You said you're in a place of transition right now and these things are going to feel uncomfortable and difficult, especially because our survival and our ego mechanism was to keep us safe and exactly where we are, you know, because we know we're okay this day. But the stories that come around that pain are the things that cause us unnecessary suffering. So, for example, for me, when I felt sad about my relationship breakup, I could process that pain by feeling sad and allowing myself to feel sad. Or I could do what all of us are kind of wired to do. So this is why we have to become more conscious of this, this pattern. I could say to myself, I feel so guilty. I'm a terrible person. Did I do things right? And they go over in my head, all the situations, all the conversations we had. Was I, did I show up in a bad way? You know, am I worthy of a good relationship? I'm a bad person. I said my marriage vows and now I've backed out. These are the stories that create suffering. The sadness of the relationship ending is not the problem. Can you see like how it's so different? Yes. I think they call that like primary pain and then secondary pain. Something that affects where. Yeah. The second arrow. 
Mm-hmm. Is how I teach it. Yeah. I love that. That's so powerful to get your head wrapped around that though. So you don't spiral. Cause once you start going, it takes a lot more work to get out from the hole than if you just catch it at the top and say, oh no, we're not doing that. And this is literally about having pep talks, you know, like exactly how you said it. No, I'm not doing that. It's, I truly believe the power of mindfulness can change somebody's life. Just that alone, bringing awareness to your patterns and recognizing that thoughts are not personal. I think we like to spin and attach onto all these things and just recognizing that, oh, it's a choice for me to believe this random thought that popped into my head gives so much freedom back to us. 100%. It's like you, you create your own reality and not only are thoughts not facts, emotions aren't facts either. Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious when it comes to your self-worth work, because I'm assuming emotions, thoughts, you're working with all this. What led you to, you believe, having lower self-worth and kind of what is the most common thing you see with clients that leads them to that feeling that way? I think that the constrictions placed around how we're supposed to lead our life can often make us feel like we're doing it wrong. So what I mean by that is like, well, in I suppose in the how I grew up in the social circles that I grew up in, it was like, get a good job, find the one very young, get married, move house, like move from a flat in London to a big house in the countryside and then have your baby or two. And then like, that was the end of the story. I always thought that was so funny. Like, then you're like, I'm so good because there's no more stories. <laughs> This is what we're like, the expectations that are placed on us to have this life. When it might not be the life you want to live. So for me, I'm like the rogue one of a lot of my, my friends and, and family because I firstly had gone through a divorce, which is often, you know, frowned upon in certain circles. I'm really lucky. I've had amazing support from my friends and my family. So, you know, that. There hasn't been such a stigma around that for me, but there was definitely a moment where I was like, oh, but I can't get divorced because you don't get divorced. You know, that's not a thing. But yeah, the, the, the pressure to, I think, especially on women, this idea that women have to have it all to, you know, be perfect and say the right thing and be a nice girl and yeah, and, and be financially stable and independent, but also be a mother of three. The pressure is huge. The expectations placed on us are huge. And when we start to get rid of it, this is what I was kind of saying earlier about letting go of what someone else's want of you, like society's want of you, and really aligning to what you want. Like I knew from ages ago I wanted to try out living abroad, but I didn't because I thought I couldn't. I literally thought I can't. This isn't the life I'm allowed to have. I just got chills. And so when you're telling yourself these things, naturally what you're doing is pleasing other people before you yourself. You're avoiding even having these real heart-to-heart deep conversations with yourself of what do I truly want? You know, hand on heart, what do I want? What are my needs? What's going to make me feel good? 
And so I think for me, a lot of, a lot of my low self-worth probably came from that. And then I, I think, you know, I could pinpick a few moments in my childhood where, you know, I think what tends to happen is we get taught that, for example, let's say me being, my personality is more likely to be the person who is louder and and more confident and wanting to be that person in the room sharing and offering love and I wear my heart on my sleeve and giving everyone a big hug. But there was definitely moments in my childhood I went to very strict schools and I and I actually went to boarding school from a very young age, from eight years old, where I was told, don't do that. So then the the, the signals that get imprinted into our subconscious are, if I behave like this, I won't be loved. So if you then dim your light or you dim the person who you truly are, you know how like when we're young, we have that essence of play. And then when we're old, it's like, well, we can't do that. We can't play. And it's the same thing. Yeah. So it sounds like a couple key things probably led to basically self-abandonment. Would you say that's accurate? Where you just abandoned yourself. In favor of survival, which at a young age, I mean, we don't know the difference. It's just, I need people. So I need to adapt in order to have safety and connection. But you're helping exactly. women unravel like, that. That's so well. Yeah. 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 It's complete. It's like self-abandonment, self-sabotage. Mm. The, the fear of, again, this idea of like, but what would happen if I expanded? And what would happen if I was to put a version of myself? Because it's also scary for other people. You know, it's mm-hmm. confronting for other people when you're going off and doing things that don't align to their stories of how they've had to fit in a box. Confronting for everybody. Confronting for everyone. Like a good example of that, to try and explain that in a, in a more tangible way. It's like when I have friends who say to me, oh, Sophie, you know, like enjoy your freedom now because when you have a baby, you won't, you won't be able to be free at all. And whilst I, you know, I am not a mum, I, I have utter love and sympathy for, you know, and compassion for all my friends who do have children and, you know, the, the struggles of being a mum. But what I would say is out here in Bali, you get to see a different life that doesn't play by the rules. So my friends out here who have kids are not in that narrative. And they believe that Bali is like the most beautiful place and wonderful place to bring up a child. Because I actually get we in, in Bali kind of go back to almost how it used to be for women, like really back in the day, the where it takes a village to raise a child. My friends have nannies all the time and that Balinese nanny will be part of their family. Yeah. You know? And it's and, and and we lean on one another for support and we, we actually out here have way more time. I feel like I have way more time to support my friends out here and to see my friends out here. Like I see my friends regularly out here. We're we're actually a community. Whereas in London, I would say I didn't really have that community where I would see people regularly. It was like, oh, I'll see you in six months. And these are my best friends. God, you're sick. Just like, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both grew, 
grown up in like very Western societies, haven't we, where these constrict, where I'm sure you can see your friends as well, feeling like they're living in this constricted bubble, but there are different ways to live your life. And I'm not saying everyone can just go and live abroad in Bali. I mean, you can, but like, it's not going to be everyone's want and choice, but I'm just saying be open to different ways of living. There are beautiful possibilities. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And I, I'm kind of coming up on this myself. So everything you're saying resonates with me so deeply of just really owning, wanting to do life differently. I've always told myself, I wish I was just wired like everybody else who can do like the nine to five, the white picket fence life. There's, I think people get offended when I say that there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a beautiful life if that's what you want. But for those of us like you and me who just known, like I knew the moment I stepped into my corporate job at 22, like this is my soul just went dark. <laughs> it's like, this is not good for me. And trying to fit yourself into a box you don't belong in, I feel like is so harmful for your health. But it would be easier to just slide right on in to what works for everybody else. So it takes balls. Yeah, and that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head of the idea. Like in a lot of ways, it is easier for people to stay small and to just continue what they're doing and go along the journey of what they're doing, which is why a lot of people don't create change, which is then in turn why we need our rock bottom where we've got nothing to be like, okay, now I'm going to create a change. Now I'm going to create a different life. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you know, it's going to be a tough journey to create that different life, but you've hit rock bottom. So you're like, screw it. I'm going to do it. That's so true. So people are more motivated by pain rather than moving towards more joy. Would you say that's fair? I would say, yeah, from people are more likely to create their like hero stories from, from the pain they experience rather than let's say someone's having like, you know, like a, one of a better word, like just kind of like an average, just mulling along, like, you know, not experiencing the full expansion of what they can be, but things are okay. That person isn't necessarily motivated to create a change. Then they lose everything, everything that put them in, you know, their position of safety. So perhaps a job, a relationship. And then that is the time when they're like, screw this. I'm going to start to really create some big change in my life. And I hear it time and time again from people. And it's very much what happened to me as a, as a personal experience. Do you think that's necessary for people? Do you ever have women you work with who are just like, you know what, I don't want to hit, they're not in a rock bottom place, but they just know there's something else out there for them. Do you work with women like that? Absolutely. And then I would actually say that's, it's very much, probably actually the majority of the people that I work with are in that place. And I'm like, kudos to you because, you know, it's, it's harder to move from that position of, of actually what's kind of okay you know you have nothing to lose when you are in your to. so I'm like good on you for being like no I, I know I want something more and for me it was like I knew I just knew that I that there was something more and I think that's a lot of that's a similarity but with basically all the women I work with 
they have that like ambition and I'm not necessarily saying like a career ambition, but that ambition to live a life that feels more in alignment and a life that feels better than what they're living. And they're also super sensitive. And I just love that, like that too, that, that mix of this like incredibly sensitive group of people with the, you know, wanting more and the ambition and the wanting to step up for themselves. It's, it's so powerful and I feel very honored to be able to work up with women like this. Oh my gosh, you have me fired up. I want to join your <laughs> course now. So where <laughs> can people work with you? You have an online platform that teaches yoga, correct? And then you also have your self-worth program, right? Yeah, exactly. So I have a yoga and meditation membership called Move and Inspire. And that was kind of birthed out of the beginning of the pandemic and then I have a like if people want to work a, a lot deeper I'm I teach self-worth within a group coaching program and then if people are kind of you know not necessarily wanting the group aspect I've got a like a mini course after that, our discussion that we had about it I've created this mini course which is all the like online content all the stuff that that really helps you build your self-worth just not with the group aspect and the like aspect. So there's kind of a couple of different tiers of, of how you can work with me. Perfect. And when is your next group being run? So it actually is like an ongoing program, but just doors open the first of every month. But I'm kind of talking to women during, like throughout the month and then doors open again and they can join the actual program on the first of every month. I love that. Okay, beautiful. So I will link those below. Sophie, this is such an inspiring conversation, truly. I am excited for our next coffee date. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so, so much for having me.